Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up rockabilly track. Now filtering out the noise from an angry Egyptian god. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, in this week's show, we're breaking down episode three of Moon Knight, and we have a film review for A24's Everything Everywhere All at Once. Plus, we're talking AEW Dynamite. But before we move on over to the news, we got a special announcement for you guys. All right, so people, it is giveaway time. For the next four weeks, you're going to have an opportunity to win a Blu-ray copy of Spider-Man No Way Home. All you have to do is DM us a screenshot of you subscribing to us over on Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star review. The giveaway will run to May 14th when we'll announce the winner, which will be chosen at random, of course. This is going to be a podcast-only giveaway, meaning we are rewarding actual listeners to the show and not plugging it on social media. If you've already subscribed and left a five-star review, no worries. Just leave another five-star review uh, and DM us because that still helps the show, believe it or not. And you deserve a chance to win also. Plus, if you say anything nice about Christian, you get two entries. That is not true. <laughs> <laughs> I might take you out of the running altogether. <laughs> we don't reward liars here, Christian. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead, DM us those five star reviews and you know proof of you subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, and you will be entered to win your very own copy of Spider-Man No Way Home on Blu-ray. Good luck to all of you that enter. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. All right, so up first, DC Entertainment reportedly undergoing an overhaul under Warner Brothers Discovery. With Warner's $43 billion deal with Discovery finally coming to a close, the new and improved Warner Brothers Discovery is now looking towards the future with all their properties. As reported by Variety, DC Entertainment is one of those brands that they plan on making a massive overhaul on to better align the brand on all fronts. Currently CEO David uh, Zazlaz, I think, I apologize if I'm saying the name wrong, has been you know meeting with people in hopes to put a figurehead over the DC film and TV properties to run in a kind of similar fashion to how Kevin Feige is currently overseeing all of the MCU projects. This overall has you know the potential to affect all current projects over at DC. I mean that's you know Batman, all these Batman spin-offs and stuff like that. You know, uh, Wonder Woman 3, whatever they were planning on doing, that's all on the table to possibly be changed at this point. All just kind of in an effort to take what they've learned over these last few years with their projects and maximize, you know, future success. Insiders have also been reporting that, you know, the CEO is aware and believes that the DC currently lacks a coherent creative and brand strategy, and that DC has a ton of potential towards success from not only its largest heroes, but their side characters and villains amongst its massive comic book catalog, as we've seen with films like The Joker and Suicide Squad. Yes, and another wrinkle to the story is they also want to bring the comics, TV shows, and video games into better alignment with the film. Um, which I'm curious to see what that exactly means. Because while I agree that, you know, DC overall needs to be a little more cohesive, I don't necessarily want to see, like, the comic books, let's say, 
be completely tethered to what's going on in the film universe. Um, I like the fact mm. that the books can, you know, dive in and explore those lesser known characters and stories. And a lot of times, I mean, uh, the source material for the films are coming directly from the comic books. So I don't feel like they need to necessarily fall in line and like perfect step with, you know, the films at all times. I mean, one thing that both DC and Marvel do do like struggle with i feel like on the comic book side of things is being new reader friendly like it's difficult to just pick up a book not really knowing the history of these characters and kind of understanding what the hell's going on but with that being said and i know i'm talking out of both sides of my mouth i don't necessarily want to see them water down <laughs> the stories either uh, so i i don't know if there's a way to streamline you know, the brand where, you know, it makes it more accessible to those new readers. Uh, you know, they've tried in the past. I mean, they've had multiple crises and, you know, the new 52 and everything, but it, it's still difficult. You know, you've got to get the right creative minds, you know, behind it and really, you know, stick to it. Because, it, it, you know, a lot of times it feels like every couple of years we get a brand new crisis, a brand new continuity, you know, which, you know, it's got to be confusing for readers. Um as far as the film side of things, it almost feels like we're starting back at square one, which I have, you know, mixed feelings about because I do kind of like where they're at right now with the DC universe, where they're not so much a slave to like continuity in the films. They're kind of just like standing on their own because then you're letting creators create and they're not so handcuffed by what's going on in other films. So I don't know, that way you get more movies like The Joker. But on the flip side of things, I understand why you'd want to have more of a model like what the MCU's doing, you know? <laughs> but if you do go back to square one, you've gotta be patient. You've gotta take your time. You know, the MCU didn't happen overnight. It was one movie at a time till they built up to, you know, the Avengers film. You know, you had Iron Man, you had Captain America, you had Thor, you know, they took their time, you know, making sure this story, you know, worked that, it, you know, and it was all interwoven with each other. And then, you know, once they saw those were all successful, then they gave us the Avengers. You know, you can't just shotgun this thing. And I just don't know if Warner Brothers Discovery creatively and financially have enough patience, you know, to like slowly, you know, build a new DC universe the right way. I mean, that's the biggest fear, right? Because I mean, at this point, you would have to imagine you've watched your competition do this so like, for so long to create these storylines and they're, you know, into their next big phase, whatever they're building to, whatever Marvel's going to with, you know, the next big Avengers event. You know, you, you've been watching them create this for so long at this point, you know, you would think, hey, I yes, I got to slow down because what they've done in the past just isn't working. And I think with Batman and stuff like that, I don't I do want to see those projects continue. But I, I feel like this is for me, at least, is a step in the right direction. No, I agree 100 percent. They definitely need someone in that driver's seat, you know, with a, just a consistent vision of what mm -hmm. the DC universe is. So I'm all for that. You know, I mean, we talked about it over the past couple of months that we'd love to see someone like James Gunn, you know, take over the helm of the DC universe. Um, but I mean, we'll see what happens. 
And I know we haven't really talked about the Warner Brothers Discovery deal, but it is a pretty huge story. I mean, it could affect things like AEW. So, I mean, they're going to be up for a contract in a year or two. So, and we, we'll have to wait and see exactly how Discovery views a product like AEW. So, I mean, its effects is going to be like far and wide. I'm just hoping that it ends up being positive. I mean, AEW's got the demo god on like every single week. So I think it'll be fine, you know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> So up next, we have a report that Submariner's MCU debut will be in Black Panther 2 as the main villain. So it seems like Entertainment Insider Charles Murphy on Twitter confirmed that the rumors of Namor joining the MCU were true and also bluntly stated that he will be the main antagonist of the upcoming Black Panther Wakanda Forever film, which seems to be the ongoing theory of a lot of insiders that are stating that a conflict between the lost city of Atlantis and Wakanda is imminent in the MCU. I mean, we've talked about this before on the show. I mean, Namor and T'Challa in the comics have a long-standing feud, and Atlantis and Wakanda have been at war on and off, you know, throughout the years. So, I mean, Namor as, you know, the new antagonist for Black Panther only makes sense. I mean, throughout production, there's been a lot of breadcrumbs pointing in the direction of Namor. Uh, I'm just curious to see if he's going to play a role somehow in, you know, T'Challa's disappearance or loss you know, whatever they choose to do. All right, moving on, Marvel's Ironheart directors revealed and Ryan Coogler's production company officially confirmed to be involved. In the latest updates for Marvel's Ironheart, it looks like Sam Bailey of Netflix's Dear White People and Angela Barnes, director of the 2018 Blind Spotting, will be directing on the Ironheart series that is officially being produced by Ryan Coogler's production company, Proximity. While I'm not familiar with either of the director's work, um, I'm 100% excited about Ryan Coogler's involvement, you know, in the production of the show. I mean, and we talked about it last week when it was just a rumor, so. Uh, but yeah, I mean, at least we know that the character's in good hands. All right, and lastly, She-Hulk rumored to be bumped back on Marvel's Disney Plus schedule. Reddit user Lesurge16, who's had a track record of leaking Marvel info, recently posted about Marvel's plans to push back She-Hulk to a late 2022 release or even an early 2023. While this is only a Reddit rumor, She-Hulk has yet to get an official release date, so a late release wouldn't be surprising, especially in this point of the year as we approach May. Also, uh, take this with a grain of salt, but there's been rumors around the internet, of course, uh, that there's been issues with the CGI and the overall tone of the show. But those rumors are coming from sources that aren't necessarily, but those rumors are coming from sources that aren't like 100% credible, um, you know, that I've seen at least. So we haven't really been talking about that, uh, you know, so we'll see if anything leaks on what the deal is. But, you know, all that matters to me is that they get the show right. So if that means that they need to take more time, then take more time. I agree, but this same post is mentioning that because they're trying to fast track the visual effects, they're sending it, you know, footage, you know, to different companies around the world and that could possibly lead to leaks. That's what they're reporting. But again, I, I don't know how much you can really take from a Reddit post. So. Okay. Well, I mean, we'll find out soon enough, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, like you said, at this point, it's almost May. So even if it does come out in January, that's only like, what, like six, seven months away. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely have plenty of content to pull this over till then, so. 
All right, Christian, this week we also had a nice little surprise in the form of a new trailer for season four of Stranger Things. You've broken everything. Your suffering is almost at an end. So, man, I thought this trailer looked amazing. And we're not going to do a moment-by-moment breakdown or anything. Um, But this was like a a music video from the 80s from your favorite, like, hard rock bands. Hell yeah. (laughs) And they even had, like, Journey played in the background throughout. Uh So, But we start things off seeing Max mourning her brother, Billy. Uh, Everyone looks like they're in their 20s, uh, (laughs) which it is what it is at this point. Uh, But yeah, everyone's been kind of separated. We know Levin and her family were sent off um, to California, I believe. Uh, And then, you know, everyone's kind of struggling moving on. And it makes sense because, I mean, they've suffered some serious, you know, traumatic experiences at this point. I mean, you could say so. This is beyond trauma in my eyes. I know, right? (laughs) Like, how do you even sleep at night at this point? I don't know. Uh, But yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, a lot of the trailer focuses around the Creel house. Yeah, which I think they only showed off for the first time in the actual, like, initial trailer for season four. Uh, We're introduced to a new villain. Uh, who apparently is like a big villain in like the D&D world, which I'm not really familiar with. So I'm not going to try to like figure out his name. Uh, there are rumors that it might be the villain might be voiced by Robert England. Uh, I don't know if that's true. That might be wishful thinking, though. Uh, Robert England does make a brief appearance in this trailer. Uh, he's playing the older Mr. Creel. Uh, it looks like his eyes are sewn shut or something, Christian. Did you get that? It either sewn or burned because it, it's definitely some deep wounds over his eyes. Yeah, whatever it is, it's awful. I mean, regardless if he's voicing, you know, the main villain or not, I'm just happy that Robert England has a role on the show and getting some just due for an amazing career. I mean, the man is a living icon. I mean, I feel like it would be a missed opportunity if they didn't put him as the main monster, right? At least voicing it, right? Like, I mean, he's not going to be able to do the physical aspects of the creature, but, like, at least have him as the voice. I think that'd be cool. I just, you know, we do hear the monster talk for a little bit. It didn't sound like, you know, England to me, but maybe they're putting some effects on his voice. Mm -hmm. I mean, they did it with Freddy, so. But like I said, they're spending a lot of time in the Creel house. It seems like the Creel house is some kind of portal to the Upside Down. Uh, We do see uh, Dr. Owens. It seems like he's recruiting Eleven back. Uh, that, you know, he says that we need your help. Um, but Eleven does mention that she no longer has access to her powers, which we do see at the end of season three. We do get moments, too, with Hopper in Russia. Uh, he seems to be in the prison and he's fighting a Demogorgon. Yeah, as we saw in the ending of season three, and I mean, spoilers if you haven't seen it, but, you know, they it seems like, you know, the Russians definitely are working on something on their end as well. So I'm wondering, and I'm also wondering with Dr. Owens calling it a war, I'm wondering if it's, you know, going to be something with, you know, the Russians also working on the same project. Yeah, like we're getting a little like Cold War action, you know, upside down style. Uh, I'm I'm figuring Hopper's probably not going to be it back at all this season. I feel like he's going to stay in Russia for the entire season, especially since we know the next one is the final season. I could see that maybe in the first part of the season, because we know that that's dropping... I believe in May, 
And then maybe in the second part, that's when he returns. Like, like maybe that's like a mid-season type of like finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, out the trailer too, we got a lot of flashback scenes with a younger Eleven uh, at the hospital, going full on Carrie and just completely raging. Uh, now, do you think they, you know, casted someone to play the younger, like you know, Eleven? Or are they using, like, de-aging on, like, Millie Bobby Brown? I feel like it's de-aging. I feel like, I mean, I feel like it wouldn't be too hard to do that on her since she's still so young. Maybe, because it, it, to me, it looks like a completely different person. But, I mean, maybe that's because of the de-aging. I don't know. So it's hard to tell now. The technology is so good. Uh-huh. So, I mean, in the rest of the trailer, we do spend a lot of time in the Upside Down. We see the kids, you know, riding their bikes through it, it seems like. Uh, there's a lot of brief moments where they look like they're getting, like, prepared for a battle. Uh, there's even a moment where you have this guy, like, shredding on a guitar. <laughs> While Journey's played in the background and lightning's flashing, uh, I guess people have identified this guy as the new uh, high school dungeon master, which they call uh, the Hellfire Club, which is a nice, like, X-Men Easter egg, which is kind of cool because you could definitely make comparisons between, like, Eleven and Jean Grey, uh, who was a big part of that storyline. So uh, I thought that was neat, but, you know, that's the nerd of me. But speaking of powers... We also see Max start to, like, levitate over her brother's grave as, like, the other, you know, kids look on. Do you think maybe Max is developing powers also? I feel like it's a red herring. I feel like maybe it's someone from the Upside Down fucking with her, or it's possibly, you know, Billy, some remnant of his power of the Mind Flayer just levitating her. Maybe, because it looks like she's in control, though, the way she's kind of floating. So I don't know. Hand position, yeah, it does look like she could be pushing, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. But regardless, like I said at the top, I thought this looked great. And it's got me super excited for, you know, season four, which is only, I mean, a little over a month away. Exactly. Just enough time to re-binge it all, right? We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a lot of shit on the agenda to watch. So I would love to, though, because, I mean, Jesus, it's been a couple years since season Mm -hmm. three at this point. So, yeah, I do need to catch up at least. If only Obi-Wan wasn't coming out the same day. I know. What a nightmare for us. But regardless, I'm not going to complain about awesome content. It is what it is. All right, Christian, it's that time again. Let's go ahead and break down episode three of Moon Knight. Warning, spoiler alert. Major spoilers for Moon Knight ahead. You have been warned. You've been banished once for nearly exposing us, Honshu. And you know we despise your garishness, your showy masks and weapons. But manipulate the sky again, and we will imprison you in stone. Spare me your self-righteous threats! I was banished for not abandoning humanity unlike the rest of you. This week's episode starts off with Layla working on getting some fake passports as she's trying to make it to Egypt. Here we meet an old colleague of Layla's father named Legaro. During this scene among learning of Layla's Indiana Jones-like crusade, we learn that Layla's father was an archaeologist that went missing in Egypt, most likely murdered. Yeah, so it seems like Layla's actually the MCU's version of Marlene, who's Mark's on-again, off-again girlfriend in the comic books and has a very similar family history. Oh, that really plays into Mark's origin as Moon Knight. And we kind of talked about it last episode, 
But in the comics, Mark's on a mission with the character Bushman, uh, who ends up killing Marlene's father uh, and also gravely injuring Mark. And that's actually when Khonshu comes and chooses Mark as its avatar. I'm just wondering if we're going to get that version of the story or if they're going to put their own twist on things. Moving on, we get a moment with Arthur Harrow as he follows the scarab over the sands of Egypt. Eventually, the scarab would point down, indicating that they had arrived at the tomb site of Amit. And while Harrow begins to celebrate, a couple of his henchmen would warn that Mark has been tracking them. We then see Mark chasing down leads over the rooftops of Cairo as he intercepts some members of Harrow's cult. While fighting them, Mark catches his reflection in the cleanest knife ever, I may say, allowing Stephen to try and take control of the body, wanting to bring an end to all this violence. This causes Mark to black out, and when he comes back, he's in a cab headed towards the airport. I thought this was a super fun action sequence, and just total Marvel style, you know, doing it across rooftops, so I really enjoyed that. I really want to know what Stephen said to those guys, though. Like, how does he explain, like, no, no, I don't want to fight you guys, it's all good. <laughs> Mark, when realizing what's happened, sees that he has not made it too far away as the henchmen he was fighting are right outside the taxi, and another chase ensues. And while Mark catches up to one of them, he again is stopped by Steven, though this time, after blacking out, both Mark and Steven are confused by what's happened as they stand over a cliffside with two of the henchmen dead and the youngest looking at Mark in horror. So this is probably most likely his Jake Lockley personality taking over. Um, we kind of talked about that in the previous episodes. Um, you know, it's a personality that he has in the comic books that's more streetwise, you know, more the man on the street, gathering information and everything, keeping his eye on the criminal underworld. Uh, but if that's the case, this is definitely different than how they portray the character in the comics, because uh, he's not just like a cold-blooded killer at all. Uh, because, I mean, whoever's taking over obviously has no qualms about killing a motherfucker because, I mean, because he's just awakened, surrounded by bodies. So, yeah, I'm guessing this is going to be, again, another case of them just doing their own take on these characters. At the commands of Kanchu, Mark dangles the younger follower of Harrow over the cliff, but unfortunately the kid decides to cut himself free of Mark's grasp and plummet to his death rather than give Mark any of the information that he's looking for, which actually shakes both Mark and Steven. Yeah, it really goes to show you just how committed like Harrow's followers are to his cause. I also don't feel like we've seen Mark, you know, truly looking like a, you know, just cold-blooded killer the way Steven sees it. You know, like he seems to have remorse when he's, you know, fighting these people. I haven't seen him going straight for the kill every time the way that Steven portrays it. No, so. I agree 100 percent. I think it's more of a case mm -hmm. of him just being a soldier and he's just willing to do what he needs to do to get the job done. But throughout here, I thought they did a really good job of establishing the dynamic between Mark and Kanshu. And fortunately, it's not the Venom Eddie, you know, relationship mm -hmm. that I was fearing it was going to be. With little else to go on, Kanshu decides he must signal a council with the gods. We're reminded that, you know, he isn't very much liked, as the last time he spoke with his fellow gods, he was banished. But either way, Kanshu forces the moon to eclipse the sun, and a portal to the Ennead is opened to gather all the gods' avatars. Yeah, they're definitely going bigger with Kanshu than I was expecting in this series, really showing how powerful he is. I don't know how the rest of the, you know, MCU is reacting to the fact that there was just a random eclipse. <laughs> I would think that would be like sending out a huge like warning flare to the rest of the Marvel heroes. <laughs> um, but just like 
the case of what we had in WandaVision happen, I guess that's just, you know, another average day in, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, no, they're too busy dealing with all the damage from the tsunamis he just caused by moving the moon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that is true, right? <laughs> but, I mean, this really does demonstrate, like, how powerful and dangerous Kanshu is. Well, especially compared to the previous episode where, you know, uh, Arthur is just saying, oh, he can't do anything to you. But, I mean, clearly he has some power behind him. That's when we meet the avatar of Hathor, um, Yatsul, who intercepts Mark as he enters, greeting him as she speaks on behalf of her goddess. We learn here of the relationship that these two gods once had before Yatsul tries to give Mark a kind of quick rundown of what's going to be going on during this trial. Here present are the avatars for the gods Horus, Isis, um, Tefnut, Osiris, and Hathor, as each avatar is embodied by their god to speak through them. And from the start, you can tell the Egyptian gods are none to please by Khonshu, especially with his stunt of pulling the moon in front of the sun, claiming that if he manipulates the sky once more, he will be encased in stone. Khonshu in his brashness brings up the gods abandoning humanity and hiding in the Overvoid, a dimension in the comics that the gods hail from similar to Asgard for the Nordic gods. The other gods brush off the statements of Khonshu, claiming humanity abandoned them and that they wish not to interfere like how the Eternals choose not to interfere. Getting on with the trial itself, the gods open a portal for Arthur Harrow to join them after Khonshu claims that he is trying to bring back Amit. So I've seen a lot of people complain that this feels way too, like, similar to the Eternals storyline. Um, I didn't really bump up against that, though, because maybe, I don't know, when it comes to, like, gods and cosmic beings in the Marvel comics, they've never done a great job really explaining and defining like how all of that works, mm -hmm. um, you know, and how they all kind of interact in society and with each other. Um, so I feel like that excuse of not wanting to interfere is as viable as any. Uh, I really enjoyed though, this concept of a council of deities, like having avatars live amongst like mortals. Um, it's just way deeper than I expected them to go into Kanshu's backstory, you know, especially, you know, in just the first season of the show. But then again, that might just be because there isn't going to be a second season and this truly is going to be like a limited, you know, special event series, whatever the hell they're calling it. <laughs> and they just feel like they have to get all this kind of backstory out of the way so once you know moon knight does pop up in a film we know who he mm. is and you know you don't have to do that legwork then fair enough but with marvel i'll i'll never say never with anything right oh absolutely i mean this is successful enough you know i could definitely see them eventually doing a second season if they don't already have plans on the table for Mark, you know, popping up elsewhere. Unfortunately, this trial doesn't go in Khonshu's way, as he has little evidence to actually, you know, bring Harrow down here. On top of that, Arthur Harrow uses his knowledge of Mark's DID to discredit Khonshu's claims and use the fact that Khonshu seems to be trying to manipulate someone with a broken mind for his own treacherous reasons. And with proof of Mark's troubled mind to back up Arthur Harrow's claims, the council is quick to let Arthur go. Yeah. Kanchu clearly could have used like Matt Murdock or She-Hulk to come in and argue his case for him because <laughs> he didn't do well at all here. I mean, and the fact that he was like screaming the whole thing through Mark. <laughs> I Harrow is a charismatic dude, so he definitely charmed the council, mm -hmm. it felt like. Uh, but that's kind of part of being a cult leader, right? 
I mean, with an accusation though that big, don't you think you might want to investigate a little, like not just take the word of someone? Oh no, a hundred percent, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the motives that Harrow says that Kanchu has for doing this is a little flimsy at best, right? Yeah, but at least he actually you know brings up motives because Kanchu didn't say anything. He's just like, hey, he's doing this. That's it. Yeah. Like, not saying, screaming it. <laughs> Oscar Isaac is just fantastic. Oh, absolutely. I know. I've said that multiple times at this point, but I just love him in this role. And I'm just hoping that he's part of the MCU for a long time coming. Again, with no leads, Mark speaks once more with Yatsel, who gives him clues towards, you know, who else may know the whereabouts of Ahmet's tomb. Yatsel claims that a map to the tomb can be found in Senfu's sarcophagus, a Medjai that was tasked with recording the location of the tomb in case the gods ever changed their minds about Ahmet's imprisonments. Yatsel also lets Mark know that the sarcophagus was last seen being sold in the Egyptian black market. Attempting to get into the black market, Mark actually blunders his whole cover. However, Layla saves the day after easily identifying him asking around for Senfu, and ultimately has Mark follow her. We're quickly cut to a boat ride as Mark tries to get info out of Layla, who's not telling him anything because he abandoned her once more back in Britain. The two share a moment here on this boat ride as Layla tries to understand what happened to Mark and how he never told her of Steven. And while it seems like Mark wants to open up here, he continues to push Layla away from him. Yeah, I mean, once again, this feels like Mark really trying to protect her from everything that's happening. But also, as we'll see later on, maybe also protect himself um, from events that happened in the past. Getting to their destination, it turns out a wealthy antiques dealer named Mogart, as played by the recently deceased Gaspard Uliel, who unfortunately did pass away just before this series came out, currently has the sarcophagus in his collection and is having some form of festivities on his remote property. Yeah, this character in the comics is Midnight Man. Uh, he's an art collector who steals all of his artifacts. Before entering the event, actually, Layla and Mark notice what seems like Harrow's goons following their boat and decide to press on instead of dealing with them. Coming up with a quick story, they meet Mogart, who clearly has had some type of past with Layla. Layla spends most of the time doing the talking to try and cover for Mark's lack of historical knowledge on Egypt, which Mogart seems to quickly pick up on. Christian, what the hell is the setup this is, that this dude has? Like, why is all of his artifacts just hanging out in the middle of the desert in glass pyramids? I was totally confused by this. I, and, unless he's got some, like, severe, like, temperature control in those things, he's just ruining those artifacts. Like, <laughs> like, is he running some kind of, like, personal museum or something? Or is just, like, this on his property? It's his collection. In the middle of the desert? No, I know it's his, his collection, but, like, is this on his property? Do they establish this? Because it just feels like it's in the middle of nowhere. They don't say if it's his home, but I assume that's just where he lives. Because it does feel like it was way too easy just to like walk up on this place. And if you've got that many valuable like artifacts, you might want to do a better job, you know, protecting them. But I mean, he does have like a little like, you know, team around him, I guess. Because he does let Mark and Layla just like walk in and, you know, start viewing everything 
without much security around them. Nevertheless, Mogar actually allows them to take a look at Senfu's sarcophagus. And while they're there, Layla and Mark aren't actually able to figure out how to find Ahmed's tomb by just looking at the sarcophagus. But Steven figures it's all coded. Mark sends Layla away to distract Mogar and his men while he talks to Steven. After a little spat between the two of them, Steven does eventually decide to help, telling Mark on how to, you know, fold this cloth inside the sarcophagus in a specific way to try and make a path but Mogart catches this and has his men take Mark immediately. Once again, the fact that he was able to just start folding his shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's on you, Midnight Man. Like, I don't know. Mark, while at gunpoint, tries to pique the interest of Mogart on what you know he was actually doing with the cloth. But Arthur Harrow appears with the scarab in hand, tantalizing Mogart with power. As Layla tries to warn Mogart of Harrow's plans, Arthur seemingly uses his truth seer abilities to start breaking down Layla and her desires to try and figure out the murder of her father, and actually going as far as claiming that Mark has some involvement in her father's murder and has been hiding it all along. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this in the beginning of the episode. It definitely feels like there's going to be some kind of twist on the whole, you know, scenario. Because mm -hmm. um, in the comics, I believe Marlene is actually there when it happens when her father dies but i could be wrong and since here in the mcu it does seem like layla is just a different version of marlene obviously they're kind of you know strain and you know telling their own story um i'm just hoping that bushman is part of it uh because he does play such a big role in the moon knight comics i mean he's a pretty interesting character he has this like huge like death head skull tattoo on his face uh, speaking of which, Moon Knight, you know, spoilers, does actually rip off his face at one point <laughs> in a murderous rage. Yeah, I mean, Moon Knight does not fuck around in the books, at least. So we'll see if we get that version of Moon Knight here on the show. Uh, but I, I doubt it. I'm sure they're going to nerf it a little. But it is a cool storyline because later on, Moon Knight is being haunted by, like, the memory of Bushman and just visions of him you know, without his face. It's pretty fucked up shit, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, until Bushman's eventually resurrected because, you know, comics. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I really enjoy the character and I, I would love to see him in the series. So fingers crossed. Promising Mogart power, Harrow begins using Ahmet's cane to destroy the sarcophagus. Mark, on the other hand, while being egged on to summon the soup by Khonshu, just watches all this happen instead of doing anything to stop Harrow. And as Harrow leaves, Mark then decides to suit up, taking on Mogart's guards. Yeah, I mean, way too little too late, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know what he was thinking at that point. I don't know if he was just like, you know, hesitating or what, but he pretty much watched the sarcophagus just get burned up for no reason. Do you think he was just worried about Harrow revealing his secret to uh, Layla? I mean, it's possible, but even like during that scene, he seems like he's already formulating a plan to say he's a liar, you know, at that moment, you know, he just calls him a son of a bitch. You know? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. As the battle ensues, Mark and Layla split up, giving Layla some time to retrieve what was in the sarcophagus, while Mark fights outside with the pacifist Steven trying to keep Mark from killing. Eventually, Steven is able to take control of the body, but isn't able to convince the guards to stop attacking, so he just gives the body right on back to Mark. Man, at this point, I'm really getting annoyed with Steven. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. And the fact that he takes over the body, gets stabbed, and then gives the body right back up, I mean... Jesus Christ, man. 
<laughs> just let the man do his job, uh-huh. you know? <laughs> also, I'm still not a huge fan of them playing, you know, the Mr. Knight persona for laughs. Mm-hmm. And that, that felt like it was more of the same here in this episode. Oh, no, that was absolutely what they did here in that scene. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. And hopefully, you know, we talked about it before, but hopefully he kind of grows into that, you know, comic book version of the character. I'm just hoping they don't like lean too hard into this like odd couple shtick that they got going on here because that definitely feels like the vibe of their chemistry together. But I feel like that's almost like too much of a one trick pony and will get old after time. After defeating Mogar and his goons and eventually escaping, Layla questions if if what Harrow had said about Mark was true, but Mark deflects trying to claim that Harrow is lying. The two of them make their way into the desert with the fragments of cloth from Senfu. There they struggle to piece it together and Layla suggests, you know, allowing Steven to come out and help. Mark, frustrated by this, still goes along with it, allowing Steven to take over and solve the cloth puzzle which turns out to just be a map of constellations over Ahmed's tomb. Yeah, it feels like Mark's getting a little jealous of Steven here, right? Eh, maybe a little. He's, he's got all the information. <laughs> right. Pick up a book, Mark. <laughs> Instead of a gun, dude. Realizing the stars from that night don't match with the same positions that they are now, Kanshu, even though he knows it will cause him to be imprisoned, decides to shift the night to the exact positions of the night that Senfu created that map. While this is happening, the gods begin turning Kanshu to stone, as promised. Meanwhile, the entire world is watching the sky pretty much time travel backwards as Kanchu uses Steve's body to kind of turn the sky. And by the time they actually get the coordinates, Kanchu then begins to fade away and Steven passes out. Yeah, holy shit, is this a display of power? I mean, you would think that Nick Fury would have to be like boarding the nearest helicarrier and be heading over to Egypt at this uh-huh. point. <laughs> Before the episode closes, Harrow takes a visit to Giza, speaking with one of the avatars on Kanchu now being, you know, tethered to the pyramid. Left alone, Harrow holds the small statued form of Kanchu in his hand, talking to Kanchu, claiming his torment is what forged Harrow into being the man that he is today, and that he owes all his victory to Kanchu. Ethan Hawke was great in this scene, really just showing the more sinister side of Harrow, um, just taunting him as he's stuck in this, you know, statue form. I'll be interesting to see how Mark and Steven react to not having Kanchu and their head anymore and how they're going to deal with not having access to the powers of Moon Knight. Yeah, I'm wondering if they like immediately go to try and save Kanchu or if they you know take a moment to realize, hey, we could be possibly free without him. Yeah, I could definitely see them being hesitant because, I mean, Kanchu is a dangerous, dangerous being mm-hmm. who is a direct threat to Layla. Um, so, I, you know, especially on Mark's side, he probably will have this sense of freedom. Um, I could see them maybe even trying to, you know, uh, confront Harrow on their own, but eventually realize that they do need Kanshu to, you know, save the day. The one thing I did want to mention was when Mark suited up as Moon Knight in this episode, I feel like I, I want a little more from those fight sequences. They do feel a little bland to me. And like just vanilla, like, I I don't know, like Moon Knight in the comics, he has this grit to him. And I I just, I'm not getting that from the show at this point. And maybe that changes, you know, I mean, we're only on episode three. So I'm I'm just hoping that they're able to capture, you know, his fighting style a little better. 
um, you know, in the upcoming episodes. No, it definitely feels like they're hiding a lot of the like, you know, more grittier moments behind blackouts and stuff like that throughout this show. But those is, blackouts, you know, when he's blacking out, he's still Mark. I'm talking about when he's costumed up as Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. I, I like they promised a, a bit of a more grittier character with this series. And I just I, I agree. They haven't really shown that off just yet. Well, here's to hoping that we get some face ripping off uh, fun and then upcoming episodes, right? <laughs> Maybe we're just sick. Well, we are. Maybe that's but... the problem. Maybe the problem is us, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and not Moon Knight. I'm not getting any help. Just give me the content. <laughs> but in all serious, it's it's what makes the character different from the other heroes in the comics. So I feel like that element, that grit is a big part of who Moon Knight is. So I really do hope that we get that version here in this series. But honestly, I don't think anything's going to really like quench our insatiable bloodlust. So (laughs) it is what it is. All right. Well, that does it for this week. Join us next week as we break down episode four of Moon Knight. This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Manscaped. Ladies and gentlemen, can I get a round of applause? Today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped's launched their ultra premium collection. And believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for your everyday man, and it covers you from head to toe literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20AMAZING. Fellas, there's more places on your body that stink than your balls. And of course, no one wants to be that smelly guy during convention season. We all know how essential the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 is for the precise trim below the waist. Their advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts to your most delicate areas. But now you can enhance your perfect grooming routine with their ultra-premium collection. This package includes Manscaped's premium deodorants. And no, that's not for your balls, it's for your stanky arms pits. This deodorant dries clear, is aluminum-free, and smells like their signature scent. It also comes with hydrating body moisturizer. Have tattoos or issues with dry skin? It's designed to keep skin feeling clean, smooth, and smelling fresh. Also, it comes with body wash to lather you up with their infused aloe vera and sea salt shower gel. And they also throw in a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner to clean your scalp with an easy one step. Plus, they included a free gift, a three-pack set of lip balm that's made up of ingredients such as vitamin E, peppermint, and eucalyptus oil to keep those chappers feeling moist. Right there, that's four products plus a gift inside the Ultra Premium Collection. What a score. All of these products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, vegan-friendly, and dye-free. The best ingredients with zero compromise. You know, we would like to recommend using the products in this order. Well, Christian, the first step will be hopping in the shower and scrub-a-dub-dub that body with the Manscaped Body Wash. Second, you gotta lather that hair up with the two-in-one shampoo conditioner to keep your noggin toggin'. Then you've gotta dry off and spray that hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate dry skin. 
Of course, you put on the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. Pop that Manscaped lip balm on. No one is out here kissing chapped up lips. And you know, getting dressed after is of course optional, but you should wear one great scent all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get that ultra premium collection hot off the shelves. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. That's right, because the power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to Manscaped. All right, Christian, so you got a film review for us this week. That's right. I saw everything everywhere all at once. And that's the movie title. I didn't actually see everything everywhere all at once. Got it. Warning, spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for everything everywhere all at once. You have been and warned. now, our feature presentation. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. They can access all their memories, their emotions, even their skills. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. And you may be your only chance of stopping it. Don't make me fight you. I am really good. I don't believe you. An aging Chinese immigrant is swept up in an insane adventure where she alone could save the world by exploring other universes connecting with the lives she could have led. Everything Everywhere All at Once is directed by Dan Kwan and Daniel Schnert and stars Michelle Yao. And I apologize if I butchered anyone's name. <laughs> With DC and Marvel exploring the concepts of multiverses, this dimension bending film may not have been on your radar, but I'm here to tell you that it definitely should be. As directors uh, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Sharnit, I think that's how you say that, and company captured the madness to infinite possibilities while telling a compelling story that easily captivated me from the start. The story follows Evelyn Wang as played by Michelle Yeoh, an Asian immigrant who ran away with her husband to you know, start a life in America. Unfortunately, these two kind of struggled as they you know tried to start up a laundromat and you know have a life here in the States. And with that struggle came a massive strain on her marriage to Waymond, as played by Ki Hu Kwan, which I had no idea until I saw a recent interview was actually uh, data from the Goonies all grown up here. Uh, one of the saving graces of the relationship was their daughter Joy, as played by Stephanie Shu, but Joy as an adult has kind of a hard time getting her parents and grandfather to accept her lesbian relationship. And I know what you're thinking, so far what I've described doesn't sound like a multiverse jumping film, it just sounds like, you know, the everyday drama of citizens in the States. Well, one day during a trip to the IRS, Evelyn's husband suddenly turns into another universe's version of Waymond and warns Evelyn of the danger she's in because of an all-powerful being hunting down all the Evelyns across the multiverse. And from there, this epic chaotic journey kicks off. And that's about as much as I want to tell you right now as I feel like this is the journey that you really have to experience for yourself. But as far as my experience with the film, I would say the entire cast like shines. The story really sticking to the core family members and maybe just a couple additional folks like Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, led for enough time and development for each character, which is one of the main factors that brings this film to the next level, as a lot of studios I feel like would have just focused more on the spectacle of, you know, a multiverse. Honestly, while watching this, I got a lot of the same satisfaction in its story as I did with James Gunn's Suicide Squad, just maybe minus a lot of the blood and guts 
nuts that we got with that. But nevertheless, Suicide Squad was my movie of the year last year. So, I mean, that's still, you know, a good props to have that same feeling coming out of this one. Michelle Yeoh, who is already an international sensation, kills it in the role of Evelyn as she goes through this journey from unsatisfied wife to a multiversal badass. But honestly, Ki-Hu Kwan as Waymond may have actually stolen the whole damn show with this performance of him switching between, you know, very different versions of himself throughout the multiverse. Most of the cast was kind of challenged with the same level of antics that we're getting out of, you know, Moon Knight, as you know, like Oscar Isaacs has to switch between Mark Spector and Steven all the time. And yet, even the smallest stories in this film are kind of wrapped up in a way that didn't feel rushed in the slightest. And while the, you know, rules to the multiverse may be on the more nonsensical side, I felt like that added to the story in a way that makes you wonder if Evelyn is just losing it rather than going through this whole ordeal. Other than story, there is no shortage on, you know, practical or digital effects, but like with most A24 films, the visuals were rock solid. I mean, honestly, this film would have had to have been this big, you know, labor of love for the entire crew as, as we're hit with like hundreds of variations of Evelyn, along with hundreds of versions of our main villain as well, which I won't spoil here for you guys. But from cinematography to effects to costume design, all done on a $25 million budget, I gotta say it gave a lot of today's biggest action flicks, you know, a run for its money. I mean, damn, even the fight scenes rocked and weren't plagued with like a ton of jump cuts. But what am I expecting? I mean, it's Michelle Yeoh. Of course, it's going to be hard hitting action. From the absurdity of the multiverse and all its chaos, everything, everywhere, all at once still hits you with this heartfelt tale, you know, chock full of memorable performances that aren't outshined by the film's effects, action, or humor. And while I personally rarely ever give this grade, I can't think of a flaw to bring it down. So I will be giving it an A plus with full recommendation to watch this at your earliest convenience. And with that said, that would usually lead us into Christian's Corner, but for time, I'm going to be cutting it short this week. I just want to state that some big things are coming with our PCW Universe. That's our WWE 2K um, Universe Mode show that we do every single Thursday and Friday. You know, we're coming close to the end of the year, um, the end of the first year of that show, and we're going to be changing up a bunch of stuff as we move over to WWE 2K22. And I want to get some of your guys' input on, you know, new titles, arenas, all that good shit. So make sure you pay attention to our social media at amazing nerd live or at amazing nerd show on your favorite social media platforms as i'll be putting out polls questions and stuff like that to help shape the you know future of our wwe 2k universe please make sure you check us out on twitch as well we're alive every single thursday through sunday playing games like elden ring wwe 2k 22 and more but all right let's move on to wrestling All right, Christian, it's been a while, but let's go ahead and talk some AEW Dynamite. I thought it was a hell of a show with a great opening match where we saw CM Punk defeat Penta uh, in a hell of a styles clash. Uh, it was a match I didn't know I wanted, but afterwards I wanted more of. No, exactly. I mean, these are two wrestlers that I absolutely love. So getting to see them start off the show was definitely a highlight for me. Um, I'm still very confused by what Penta's doing, but you know, it, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the character change. This eviler version of Penta because mm -hmm. I felt like it was pretty evil to begin with. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, this he's not doing enough to really show like the more vicious side 
besides that little arm breaker thing. Um, and then, you know, what's his name? Alex, you know, coming out looking like a goofy druid. Um, so that's not really working for me. But I mean, overall, I thought this was a fantastic match. I mean, just the the back and forth chops in the beginning and everything and how Punk was selling it was fantastic. There was one moment in the middle where, you know, it, it felt like something did went awry where Punk went for her Karana, you know, off the top rope and he falls. I think he tried to sell it and play it off like it was, you know, part of the story but I, I think they just kind of fucked up because you okay. saw him talking to him a lot <laughs> afterwards <laughs> before he, you know, did it again. Uh, but yeah, overall, a great match. And just it really shows and demonstrates like the depth of talent that AEW has that they're able to just kind of like, you know, put a couple names in a hat and pull out, you know, a fantastic match like this. Because, like I said, this matchup never even crossed my mind before. Now I just need a tag team with both of them together. (laughs) That would be interesting. Uh, Speaking of tag teams, up next we had the AEW World Tag Team Championships on the line with Jurassic Express defeating Red Dragon. This was a solid match, but I wasn't... I I don't feel like it was Red Dragon's best performance uh, that they've had so far. I don't know. I I liked it. I thought it was a good match. I thought they had good chemistry in the ring, but I mean, to each his own. I mean, I'll be honest. I actually expected Red Dragon to walk away with the titles here because that just felt like where the storyline was headed. Uh, But we saw after the match, FTR got involved after Red Dragon jumped Jurassic Express, which tells you that feud isn't over with. But now maybe FTR is going to be involved somehow and maybe we get like a three way dance eventually. And I could see FTR taking the belts. I, I I wouldn't have a problem with that. That would make them the Triple Crown champions. Exactly. Pretty fucking cool. I love... I mean, we haven't gotten a chance to talk about it, but, like, FTR is definitely having themselves a moment here. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, like, babyface, like, FTR. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they've, you know, added just small things, like, you know, more arm drags and hot tags into their arsenal, and, like, now it's made them, like... Probably the hottest tag team in the world Uh, just goes to show just how talented they are, because it's a version of that tag team I don't think I've ever seen before. No, I'm for the most part, I think I've only ever seen them as heels, even in WWE. So I can't imagine them doing this style, but it is it's cool. But I mean, they're so absolutely fantastic, Uh though, as a babyface team. It, I mean, once again, I mean, they're just insanely talented. So, yeah, I could definitely see them walking away with the titles eventually. Um, maybe Christian Cage is involved. I know we've been talking about it for months at this point. <laughs> but after his loss with Adam Cole, he did have a moment where he stormed off. Mm-hmm. So maybe we start to see an attitude change with Christian and that eventually ends up costing, you know, Jurassic Express the titles somehow. So it feels like that's been like an on again, off again storyline that they've mm-hmm. been, you know, hinting at. Uh, but maybe they pulled the trigger this time. Maybe I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> they do love their slow burn stories. Uh-huh. So. Up next, we had a brief promo from the Blackpool Combat Club, which now includes Wheeler Yuta after just an epic battle on Rampage with John Moxley, where in bloody, glorious defeat, he was able to win his way into the faction. Uh, an amazing match. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely go ahead and check out Moxley versus Yuta on Rampage. And I'm really excited for this storyline. Uh, it looks like they're going to be challenging the Gun Club uh, on Rampage this Which week. Which I feel like is 
kind of a good start for like you know as far as two teams going up against each other especially you know i feel like the gun club is something somewhat similar to what we kind of predicted with him going after chris jericho and the the jas in the future yeah i could see that like style wise Mm -hmm. where they're definitely more sports entertainment um i'm expecting nothing less than a mauling um at least for the ass boys I'm sure Billy Gunn will be able to hold his own because he's a fucking giant of a man um, compared to the rest of the AEW roster. Uh Yeah, I mean, this should definitely be a quick match. It really just kind of highlights this new found attitude of Wheeler. I hope they paid those janitors double after that match. (laughs) That was, man, I I mean, the fact that he was able to, like, hold out his hand and have the blood drip on it, like... Uh That's that's great stuff, man. <laughs> Once again, that bloodlust that we have. <laughs> then we got a quick interaction between Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm. Uh, it looks like they're going to be facing off in the first round of the Owen Hart Foundation tournament. Should be a good matchup. I'm just hoping that we get to see Tony Storm like wrestle on TV before then. Well, because I- new wrestlers in AEW tend to get lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're not going to. I feel like it's they're going to wait until that match. But when, because they still have a bunch of qualifying matches I, to I go. So, I mean, that that could be like in a month, right? Like, do we have a start date? Um, I don't even know if we have a start date at this point. So I hope not. Regardless, don't don't look it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Christian. I'm sure she'll be in matches on Dark and Elevation. So Great. Up next, we have the continuation of the Wardlow storyline, which I'm just loving right now, honestly. Uh, We saw Captain Sean Dean defeat MJF with the help of Wardlow uh, via countout. Well, and Bryce Rosenberg, all right? He he could have just not counted him out. I mean, he was just doing his job, though. So. <laughs> and I, I think, I don't know, maybe accepting a bribe on national TV in front of everyone, like, wouldn't be the best career choice. There's worse things you can do. <laughs> sure. I'm just really enjoying the storyline right now. I think they're doing a great job with it. Just, you know, with Wardlow constantly interfering with everything MJF and Sean Spears is doing, uh, you know, really forcing mjf's hand uh the crowd is just eating up i mean this crowd was great you know this this week uh they're in new orleans it wasn't even a sold out crowd i think they're maybe a thousand shy from a sellout and it was only a five thousand uh seated arena so mm. um but i mean you wouldn't be able to tell that from what we saw on screen because they were on their feet almost the entire show uh, <laughs> about to say. more on that later <laughs> but they're super hot for you know wardlow right now uh, i feel like this is really getting over and it's really kind of for me at least it's really like shades of an old stone cold storyline uh at one point on his like rise to the top of the card he got injured by owen hart in real life so uh you know he couldn't wrestle for a while so instead, to kind of keep him on screen and keep his momentum going, they did this whole storyline where WWE officials were protecting from himself and not allowing him to wrestle because of his injury. So what you had happen then, every week on the show, 
you would have Stone Cold like run through the crowd and end up like stunning another WWE official until he was eventually allowed to wrestle in the ring. I mean, don't get me wrong. He was white hot at the time, but that absolutely like strapped a rocket to him and like took him to like another level. Um, And I feel like that's kind of what's happening with this Wardlow storyline. Um, now, we did find out that after, you know, he cost MJF the match, MJF turned around and said, you know what, I have the ability to book you in any match that I want, which sounds absolutely absurd because uh-huh. <laughs> how that just works, because you this contract doesn't mean I can put you on, you know, dynamite whenever I want, because I mean, he's still not Tony Khan. So now it seems like the storylines morphed into MJF forcing Wardlow to face off a gauntlet of different wrestlers, you know, for, you know, the next, you know, couple months until the pay-per-view, I'm sure, where they'll eventually face each other. I mean, the Butcher's been looking better in matches these weeks, so I'm excited to see what he'll do against Wardlow, but I I, I imagine it's just going to be a bunch of power bombs. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, no. It's definitely going to be a squash match, but I agree with you 100%. Like, I've loved what the Butcher's done with Darby and stuff, and since he's come back from injury, they've definitely made a point to really, like, feature him more. Uh, which is great because I've, I've enjoyed, you know, what he's done in the ring lately. So then we got a Darby Allen video package where he challenged uh, Andrade to a coffin match, which is going to take place on Dynamite next week. Uh, these guys had a great match, I believe. Was it on Rampage or was it on Dynamite a couple weeks back? I think it was on uh, Dynamite, but not 100 percent i think yeah i think it was on dynamite andrade did end up getting the win so i'm guessing this is going to end up being like the blow-off match for the whole program then we got a spooky promo from uh malachi black uh and you know i at first i didn't catch who he was talking about but apparently he was talking about fuego which i was like wow like Like, is this a serious feud that's happening? I know they've had a few matches with Fuego, like, challenging him and, like, just getting destroyed. But it just feels like a bit of a waste for Black. Uh Uh-huh. You know? The promo itself was wild. You know, you cut open my throat and you see a, you know, pitch black hole of razor blades. I was like, what the fuck? Yes, no, like, I was like, and that's where I was, I was like, who's he talking about right Uh now? And then I realized it was Fuego. I was like, you're wasting this promo on fucking Fuego de Sol? Like, what's happening? Earlier on the show, we saw... um, Eddie Kingston and Santana Ortiz jump uh, the Jericho Appreciation Society at the airport, uh, and they stole, uh, who was it, Magic Mike's shoes? I can't remember the guy's name. He changed his name. What what of 2.0 shoes? And they drove off, and they broke the other guy's thumbs. Uh, but then we got this six-man tag, Mark, because I guess the whole storyline is on site now with uh, Eddie Kingston, like, Anytime he sees mm-hmm. Jericho and the group, he's attacking them regardless. But how did he so, legally get onto a fucking Christian, airport? It's wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> we don't ask questions like that, my friend. Uh, but yeah, no. So we got a six man tag later on. You know, uh, I thought this was a great match and everything. Uh, I, I definitely wasn't surprised that Kingston took the loss here. Uh, and it was actually Daniel Garcia who uh, pinned him. Uh, it, it, it seems like maybe they're going to be focusing on those two for a little bit before eventually they get back to Kingston and Jericho. Uh, but I might be just jumping to assumptions. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a one-on-one match 
you know, between Garcia and Kingston, you know, sometime soon. Uh, but no, I, I love everything that's going on with this program right now. Uh, I'm just curious to see where they go afterwards with like Kingston and Santana Ortiz. Like, are they going to continue to be a faction or, you know, do they just kind of break up and move their separate ways? Well, I was wondering if they're going to add two more members because the way that the, the commentary kept, up. Yeah, kept playing into it, like, oh, there's only three of them. There's only three of them versus five. It is a numbers game. They kept on bringing up mm-hmm. the fact at the end that it's a numbers game. Like, who, though? Like, because I was thinking about this. Like, yeah. who would you add to this group? Like, is it going to be like Darby and Sting, do you think? <sighs> Maybe. I don't know if they bring in Sammy and someone else, you know, try to make that all kind of like an in the inner circle type of affair or what? Yeah, I mean, they definitely need to do something to revitalize Sammy's babyface run at this point because the crowd's definitely not enjoying him and Ty together. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I w- it would work, I feel like. You know, and he definitely has history with Jericho and everything. So storyline, it makes sense. So I'm sure we'll find out soon since Sammy has a title match against Scorpio Sky on Saturday for at the Battle of the Belts. So, you know, I, I can't imagine this feud lasting much longer, hopefully. Because <laughs> it's really not doing anything for either of them, mm-hmm. you know, him or Scorp- Scorpio. So I feel like they just need to move on. So then in the middle of watching AEW Dynamite, a fucking funeral broke out and we got a Marina <laughs> Shafir uh, sky blue match uh, that died a slow death. This oh, was God. just painful <laughs> to watch. And I just felt so bad for both of them. Um, and I don't blame them, though. I don't blame, you know, Shafir or sky blue. Like this is the bookings fault. Mm-hmm. You haven't done enough to make people care about Marina. Like this is the first time we've even, even seen her on dynamite and you're pushing her as a legitimate challenge for Jade. It, it just, it's, it doesn't make sense. Like it's lazy booking to me. And I understand you've got a really stacked, you know, roster and, you know, every dynamite or rampage is jam packed. But if you want us to take her seriously as a challenger or to even know who she is, you've got to feature on the fucking show. You can't just do one video package and have her show up for one match before her match against Jade. Like, that's not enough to get her over. That's not enough to get us to care. You know, and like, this isn't the only case of this happening, you know, with AEW. Like, this is happening across the board. I feel like Tony's focusing way too much on the hardcore fans and not enough on the casual fans. And he's just taking for granted that everyone knows who these wrestlers are. And that's just not the case. Not everyone watches Elevation. Not everyone watches Dark. You know, I mean, I love AEW and I don't watch Elevation and Dark regularly, you know. Uh, And I know the case is the same for you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you want these matches to matter, you've got to invest more time into, like, these characters and introducing these characters and who they are. Too many times we've seen recently where characters debut on Dynamite and then we don't see them for, like, weeks. I mean, this recently happened with Jay Lethal. Like, you know, he showed up, he had a match or two, And then he was off camera for like, I mean, like a month. And I guess he was wrestling on Elevation and Dark. I mean, to the point where all of a sudden he was like the number three contender. 
like in the title picture. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then he showed up and just got a title match. It was like, wait, how is he possibly the number three contender? But apparently he was racking up wins on Dark against, you know, enhancement talent. And I feel like that's just ridiculous. And while it might work for someone like Jay Lethal just because he's an established name. But whereas like Jay Lethal has that history and, you know, wrestling fans, hardcore wrestling fans at least know who he is. That's not the case with Marina Shafir. So you've got to do more to introduce her to everyone. It can't just be one video package and one match on Dynamite. Like she needs to be featured. Like if someone's going to get a title shot, they need to have at least a couple months of buildup, I feel like. And it can't just be on Dark and Elevation. You know, and I mean, I, I still feel like that goes for Jay, Jay Lethal, too. I almost said Jay White, but Jay Lethal also. Uh, when you have anyone debut, you've got at least, you know, I don't care if it's a video package, but do something to explain who this is and why they're important. You know, especially when you're like bringing in these different names who like a hardcore audience might know, like, you know, like we know who Keith Lee is. But does everyone know who Keith Lee is? You know, like we know who Samoa Joe is, but does everyone know who Samoa Joe is? No, but he just kind of shows up and then he's going after a title that they didn't even introduce this week, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> from a different company. I mean, it, it just I mean, we'll talk more about that later, but it just I don't know. It, it just feels like Tony is living too much in this like wrestling bubble and catering way too much to the hardcore fans and not enough to casual fans. And when you do that, that's when you have a moment like this where, you know, <laughs> the match just literally dies in front of us, uh, which is unfortunate. And they also I think it's part partially too like they had it booked weird where she's supposed to be staring down uh, Jade Cargill's baddies in the crowd. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't feel like she's experienced enough to pull that off and the way they were shooting it. It didn't work, so she just looked like she was just, like, glaring to the camera, and then, like, a few seconds later, they'd show the baddies in the audience, so I don't feel like it was really connecting well. No, no, trust me. They were, like, totally breaking the 180 rule, so it just felt very weird on top of all of that. Like, Damon's not exaggerating here. Like, this crowd was the quietest I've ever heard an AEW crowd ever be, just because they haven't introduced introduce this character enough into the realm. I mean, I was complaining that the show might have too much of like a hot mic from the starting match because I was hearing, you know, clearly what CM Punk was saying to Penta in the very mm-hmm. first match. And then in this one, I'm hearing the the sneakers of people walking out of the ring and out of the <laughs> arena, you know, while this match is going on. <laughs> yeah, I, I literally adjusted my volume because I thought there was something uh-huh. wrong with my TV because it was so damn quiet. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this just did not go over well whatsoever um but i mean it's once again not the fault of the talent it's Mm -hmm. the fault of the booker like you haven't given the audience enough reason to care who marina shafir is so hopefully they're able to salvage it somehow um but at this point i can't fathom her actually like walking away with that like tbs title from jade cargill that just feels like a, a big mistake um which means that she's gonna walk in in her like second televised match and probably lose to jade and like what does that do for her diddly up next we had a hook interview uh who also has not been on dynamite whatsoever so hopefully people know who he is from watching rampage 
Uh, I guess he's going to be having his first match on Dynamite in the upcoming weeks. I believe next week, actually. Uh, Danhausen showed up uh, to try to curse Hook. Um, I haven't been enjoying these skits whatsoever. And once again, it's kind of more of the same thing I was just complaining about. Like, I feel like they haven't done a great job of really introducing who the fuck Danhausen is. Like, I love him, but like, this doesn't really make sense at all like why he's trying to curse hook um even as someone who knows who danhausen is and i could see someone who's a stranger to this character not even understanding what the hell's going on (laughs) because i barely do then next we had men of the year just talking about how scorpio sky is going to be going up against sammy uh in the battle of the belts so we already touched on that though so Man, these Battle of the Belt specials just kind of feel like an afterthought now. Is th- and this is only the second one, mm-hmm. right? So besides this match, we have uh, Thunder Rosa going up against Nyla Rose. Uh, we thought we were going to get Adam Cole versus uh, Hangman, but that's actually going to be on Rampage this week, uh, which is actually in a weird time slot. So, I mean, that feels kind of like a waste. Uh, and then, without explanation, uh, we have Jonathan Gresham, the uh, ROH champion, going up against Dalton Castle. Who casuals definitely don't know. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and I want to keep on harping on the same point, but, like, what the fuck? You know, I mean, it's a good sign that TBS or TNT, Warner Brothers, whatever, is allowing this ROH match on AEW TV. Because hopefully that means that we'll eventually see like maybe an ROH program mm-hmm. on either one of those channels. But like you haven't done anything to explain who these two people are and why the ROH title matters. You know, besides that one little speech that Tony gave when he announced that he acquired the company, that's been pretty much it. So you would think that they want to do some kind of little video package, kind of like summing up who these two wrestlers are, but we didn't get that at all. So like, once again, like you just said, why should AEW fans care who don't know who these guys are? So moving on, I felt like the show got back on track. Uh, We saw Team Taz, represented by Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs, defeat Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland in a damn good match. Hell of a battle between these two teams. I was definitely excited to see this one come to AEW Dynamite rather than just Rampage. As I mean, most of their fights have been going on Rampage, but I definitely feel like they need to have this feud on their main show. Yeah, and regardless of what Tony Khan says, I mean, Dynamite is the A show Mm -hmm. right now. So, and Keith Lee is way too talented to be just wasted on the B show. So, um, and I've been enjoying this little back and forth between these, you know, two groups. I thought Mm. it was a really cool moment, too, for Ricky Starks, you know, being, you know, from New Orleans and everything. You could see how emotional he was when he first got out of the ring and the reaction that he got. Um, But, I mean, regardless of that, it was just a fine match. And I was really excited for Hobbs to get the win over Keith Lee. Um, you know, it, it's still early on in Keith Lee's run. I thought it was a big deal too that Hobbs uh pinned Keith Lee. It looks like they're probably building to like another one-on-one match between these two because I, I we did get a one-on-one match before, right? Between Hobbs and uh, Lee. Yes. I think. Mm. Um, but that seems to be the program that they're focused on right now. And it didn't bother me that Keith Lee took a pin so early on in his AEW run, honestly. Because it's, you know, for the greater good, like building up powerhouse. So, and I, I feel like, you know, 
Tony's going to do right by Keith Lee regardless of this. So like he can he can eat a loss and still be okay in the long run. So then before the main event, we had a weird like segment with Thunder Rosa and Nyla Rose. Uh, Thunder Rosa was giving an interview backstage. She was interrupted by Vicky Guerrero and uh, Nyla Rose with a cake. Apparently, they were there to celebrate uh, Thunder's world's shortest title reign. Uh, you know, since uh, Nyla and her are supposed to have a match on Battle of the Belts on Saturday. Uh, so then Thunder threw the cake in Nyla's face. But then even though she was blinded, she was still able to grab Thunder Rosa and leave her lane. I don't know. Like, I don't know what this did for anyone. What was what was uh, <laughs> Nyla Rose's line at the end? About <laughs> jokes on you. I love cake and walked <laughs> off. I feel like that could be a shirt. Uh, but <laughs> it's, it just I don't know. It was a weird segment. It made Thunder kind of look stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't been a fan of what they've done so far between these two. Uh, hopefully they have a great match at Battle of the Belts. It's just such a throwaway feud. I, I have no it interest does, in this. It really does feel like that. But lastly, <sighs> we had an amazing match between Samoa Joe and Suzuki. Uh, this was for the ROH TV Championship, uh, which, once again, I'm not going to harp on this. <laughs> but you have these belts just showing up on the AEW Champion. Mark. Yeah. But you have these belts just showing up on, like, AEW TV with no rhyme or reason, no explanation of, you know, why it's important or why we should care. Um, And I could make that argument that they haven't done a great job of explaining who Suzuki is and why we should care about him. I mean, he shows it in every match that he's been in, but it's only been, like, two or three at this point so i don't know man like tony needs to sit down with his producers and just you know hammer out some serious video packages you know uh but yeah i mean this match though was just awesome uh oh yeah i think within the first like five minutes there was something like a hundred some chops (laughs) between the two guys like someone actually counted oh my Um, god but their chests were just bloody and bruised um just a sight to behold i mean it lived up to all my expectations just two monsters in the ring you know trading blows um they didn't even like slow down during the fucking commercial break like oh. I, you know and i don't usually pay attention you know during the picture in picture but like i couldn't take my eyes off of it like joe's like powerbombing suzuki and shit i was like do they know that the commercial break's going on <laughs> or do they just say fuck it um it was a great match i mean we even got another like chop battle at the end um until like joe was able to kind of sucker suzuki into his muscle buster finish Uh, but yeah i mean joe's the roh tv champion now which at least the announcers talked about like how it's the one roh belt that joe hasn't captured in the past Mm -hmm. um so they kind of put some weight in tried to make it matter but i don't i don't know like this would have been fine just being a non-title match too um uh, after the title match though uh we had jay lethal and sanjay dutt jump joe uh and we had a lights out moment and when the lights turned back on uh to absolutely no reaction <laughs> we had santum singh standing behind joe who's a giant of a man but 
no one knew who he was. Yeah. Uh, Tony Schiavone tried to explain that he's seen him before, that he's, I guess, India's only NBA draftee. Um, sure. Um, it, this went over like a fart in church. Um, Joe got taken out by this guy. He did the whole great Kali head smash thing. Yeah, which I hated. Yeah, yeah. It's not a good sign when that's like his big move, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just another giant. I feel like we've got a lot of giants uh, in wrestling right now, and not many of them can work. And it didn't help me either that that Tony was kind of talking about like, oh, I've seen this guy training. I was like, oh, so you mean he's green? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing we have a lot of is a lot of green giants, no pun intended, uh, running around in WWE and now AEW. So apparently, according to Dave Meltzer, uh, this was done for the Indian market, which is a key market that, you know, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery is interested in. I don't know. Like, I get it. Like, you want to attract as big of an audience as possible. And if you want to, you know, satisfy your new bosses, it makes sense. But I'm just having, like, Jinder Mahal flashbacks. Mm -hmm. And this whole angle felt so WWE to me, like just the way that they went off the air and everything. And it just didn't go over well. And I think part of it is they did the lights out thing and they they're doing that way too much. And it's, it's going to be to diminishing returns. Um, and the fact that you, like you don't do the lights out like gimmick for someone that no one knows, like you save that for like a big like debut or a big return, not for some giant green wrestler no one knows. And it would have been just as equally intimidating for him to just walk down to the ring after Joe's been yes. through this brutal match. Yes, that that would have been just fine. Like mm-hmm. that would have actually built him up a little more and I think would have gotten the crowd stirring because I think once the lights went back on, the crowd was just confused and disappointed. Yeah. Right. So I mean, if you would have just like had him even like sitting in the crowd and just had the threat of him looming over the match and then have him kind of like jump Joe at the end, it would have been fine. You know, it would have gotten over better than what they did here. You know, mm-hmm. but I mean, regardless of me doing a lot of nitpicking, um, <laughs> I did think the show was pretty damn good. Uh, just filled with a lot of great wrestling matches. And it just shows you just how like stacked of a roster AEW has now that, you know, Tony Khan can literally just, you know, pick names out of a hat and just, you know, put together great dream matches. Also, I just hope that he doesn't lose sight of storytelling, you know, um, you know, when he's invested and he's, you know, doing his due diligence and, you know, putting together a great program and building it up. I mean, I feel like they're like, he's second to none. But he really needs to invest into more like character development and do a better job of really letting the audience and fans get to know these wrestlers, you know, and I understand like time is limited with a roster this big, but, you know, focus on who you're going to focus on then and, you know, give them their moment in the spotlight to you know, at least let them get over with the crowd. Um, because eventually you're going to run out of dream matches, mm-hmm. you know, and those only get you so far, you know, it, you have to give people a reason to care about these characters. 
while they are still appeasing, you know, us hardcore fans and we'll definitely be tuning in next week. I definitely agree with what Damon just said and saying that, yeah, storytelling is very important. It's what, you know, turned me off to WWE because, you know, they had great stars, but they're not putting the effort into the storylines. They just are letting everything go. Something can happen, you know, at one second and it seems like it's going to be a hot next story and then the next week they forget all about it. So it's, you know, that's just how it is. But we'll find out if AEW can capitalize on anything else in this next week on The Amazing Nerd Show. Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. All right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, Christian, uh, Thor Watch 2022 continues <laughs> uh, as we wait for the new Thor trailer to drop. I I swear it was going to be this week. I'm sure it's going to be Friday as you're like editing the show. So uh-huh. uh, if that's the case, you know, we'll react to it next week. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, but uh, we'll also be, of course, breaking down the newest episode of Moon. It would be crazy if the, this is the time where they finally just release a film without a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> But beyond that, we'll be giving a review for Fantastic Beasts and The Secrets of Dumbledore. Plus, we'll be talking the latest in wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. (laughs) 